Cicero Rufus Perry was as tough as they come. The man's pictures, which are posted at FrontierPartisans.com, show a handsome feller who lived up to the description of his fellow soldier and lifelong friend John Holland Jenkins as tall, muscular, erect, a perfect specimen of the strong and brave in young manhood, with dark eyes bright with the fires of intelligence and enthusiasm. Except that one of those eyes drooped from an arrow wound. Over his long career as a frontier partisan ranger, Rufus Perry's muscular body would absorb 20-odd wounds from arrow and bullet and lance. Born in Alabama, he moved with his parents to Texas when he was 11 years old, and in 1836, before he was out of his teens, he was riding with the Texas Rangers. The Republic of Texas was born in that year, born into a two-front war. Mexico grudgingly let Texas go after General Santa Ana's defeat at San Jacinto, but an unofficial, low-intensity borderland war continued over the disputed lands between the Nueces River and the Rio Grande. Texas Rangers and Mexican Irregulars and bandits would continue to tangle right up into the 20th century. Texas's other foe was the Comanche Empire, whose warriors would harry Texas settlements for decades. It would be really hard to overstate how dangerous and violent the Texas frontier was from the 1830s through the 1870s. The Comanche killed more Americans than any other native peoples west of the Mississippi, and the Texans killed Comanche wherever they could run them down. And the Texans were not particular about killing Mexicans, whether they were aggressors or not. For all combatants, the constant state of conflict through the mid-19th century was a blood feud, a cycle of raid and retribution. Many a dark deed was done, and many a heroic deed, too. Perry was in the thick of it. He rode with legends like Jack Hayes, Ben McCullough, and Sam Walker, who would help develop the Walker Colt revolver. Perry left a wonderful memoir of his rough service. He was an earthy man and not very well educated, really semi-literate. The memoir is almost comical with chaotic spelling and grammar and format, or really lack of any of those things. But the incidents it recounts were as deadly serious as the pointy end of a Comanche lance, and the tales make for a magnificent picture of the grit and resilience of the frontier partisans that fought across the wild borderlands of legendary Texas. Here's old Roof in his own words. In the spring of 1844, Hayes organized a company and I joined him. We had several raids after Mexicans and Indians. One day, Hayes and 11 of us was riding up the Los Puntos near where the Nat Lewis Ranch now is. We saw five Indians near a thicket. Remarked to Hayes that there was one more nearby. We then went around to the other side of the brush and came in on them and about 60 of the red devils came out of the brush onto the prairie when we opened fire on them. It was a fight for 10 miles. At times they would stop and form in line and charge through our lines. That was the first fight that Colt's pistols was used. 
They would charge three in a line, the first expecting to be shot while the other two used their lances. But when we kept on shooting, they commenced running, but they fought so close that we did not get every one of them, though we got 21 horses and saddles. Some horses had shields and quivers containing their bows and arrows, also lances and paint. We had but two men hurt. That was Sam Walker and Ad Gillespie. They were both speared the next day. We found five and killed them all, got one man killed, Peyton four. Then we went back to our camp on the Madio, which he probably means the Medina, 12 miles west of San Antonio. Hayes sent me and three other men after a lot of cattle stolen from the Mexicans by Jack Gaynor and Ed Davis. We found the cattle at Victoria, but did not catch the men. We had a lot of Mexicans with us, the owners of the cattle, also a man by the name of Tummy, the greatest brag I ever saw. One night I got him on guard by telling him that I had seen Gaynor that day, and he intended to kill him while he was on guard. I slipped up on him and shot at him, the blaze of the powder going to where he stood. He dropped his gun where he stood. He was scared so bad that he did not know which one of the boys he was. The next morning he left us, said he would not stay with no such a damned set. Hayes heard that there was some Mexican cavalry recruiting their horses between the Nueces and the Rio Grande. He sent me with three other men, Ackland, Dunn, Carlin, to stampede their horses. We got as far as the Nueces just on this side. I saw the trail of a horse. I followed it until I was satisfied there was a man on it. I told the boys to camp up on a bluff, but they camped close to some thickets. I told them when I come up to camp that an Indian would not have camped there, and I thought there were Indians not far off. I went up on a hill in order to look out, but saw nothing. I had a presentiment that there was something wrong. About after eating our dinner, James Dunn and John Carlin went to the river to go in bathing. They had just got off their clothes when Acklin and myself was attacked in camp by about 25 Indians. We both jumped to our feet. I told Kit to hold his fire until we could get to our horses, but he fired his gun, killing one in his tracks, then left me. The shot I received was through my left shoulder while I had my gun leveled on one. It made me fire a little sooner than I should, but my sight was good and downed him. They were not over 30 steps from me. I had one of Colt's first five shooters. I shot four times, and I am satisfied that I did not miss a shot. The next shot I got was through the belly, and the third was in the temple, cutting an artery that bled so that I fainted from the loss of blood. But I soon come to and got to where Dunn and Carlin was at the river. We was joined there by Acklin when he pulled the arrow out of my shoulder, leaving the spike in, which was cut out two years after. I caught hold one of the horse's tails and went across, but I fainted again. Carlin took my gun and pistol to load them when the Indians made a second charge on us, and they run off and left Acklin and me, taking my gun and pistol with them. They had their horses about that time I come to and ran to a dense thicket where I lay down with a wound in my face down in the dust and little sticks. It stopped the blood. I did lay long before the Indians got all around the thicket that I was in. I could hear them talk and knock on the brush. They stayed but a short time, then went away. I remained until dark when I started to the water about 200 yards away. I had to crawl on my hands and knees, for I lost so much blood that I would faint and fall to the ground. It took me from dark until daylight to get to the water. 
I was nearly famished for water. After drinking all I wanted and washing my face, I filled one of my boots with water and crawled in a hole where there had been a tree blown up there. I stayed all day. After dark, I started for San Antonio. I did not go over three miles before I laid down to die, as I thought I could not go any further. But after laying a while, I got up and started again. I was all night and a part of next day getting to the Leona, about ten miles from where I started. I traveled then whenever I was able to go day or night, without anything to eat but three prickly pear apples. I got to San Antonio on the seventh day about dusk. The first one I met was a Mexican boy, Polly Carpear. He ran ahead of me, and by the time I got to the square, I met a great many, for I was like one risen from the dead, as Dunn and Carlin had told them I was dead and Acklin would die. I was taken to Nat Lewis's store, where I remained for a month. Then I was taken to another place where I stayed two months longer before I was able to ride. Then George Neal was detailed to take me home, which he did. I look more like a ghost than a man. My own mother did not know me. Ori Coleman and son waited on me. Old Madame Andrune, a Mexican woman and a German woman that came with Castro. Mrs. Jakes, Mrs. Elliot, Mrs. Riddle were very kind to me. But the German and Mexican woman, God never made kinder beings. I shall ever remember them and reverence their memory. Acklin got there next morning after I did, but was all right in two weeks. He was up before Carlin and Dunn. They both came in naked and barebacked. It was two years before I was able to go out again. When I did, I joined Captain Henry McCullough's company and was elected lieutenant of the command. Now, isn't that something? It's a heck of an account. Kind of reminds me of uh, Hugh Glass and the Grizzly, the mountain man Hugh Glass who was mauled by a grizzly and left behind by his comrades and uh, and crawled back to civilization. Um, he had a longer trek than uh, than Perry did, but uh, certainly no more uh, no more risky and no more arduous. It doesn't seem that that Perry held any kind of grudge against the men who had who had taken his rifle and his pistol and abandoned him. Uh, I think it was well understood that under circumstances like that, it really kind of was an every man for himself situation. Certainly nothing in Perry's writings indicated that he held a grudge or, or ever acted against the men who had left him. Perry, shortly after his return, married a young woman who was noted as a rare beauty, but haughty, haughty in the sense of high-toned, and uh, Rufus would later on carry on an affair with a widow woman uh, who had eight children, and I have read that, uh, that she had two with Rufus while he, while he was married. Um, he would uh, serve with the Texas Rangers and other volunteer forces for 30 more years, including service in the Mexican War of 1846 to 48. Um, and he ended up his career as captain of Company D of the legendary Frontier Battalion in 1874, and he would die in 1898, 
having lived a very long life for somebody who risked it so constantly. I'd like to thank the patrons who make the Frontier Partisans podcast and FrontierPartisans.com possible. That's Cody Rush, Clint Richards, David Costello, Jeremy Popple, Malcolm Brooks, Josh Buchanan, John Sweet, Hawk and Horse, Bridger Larson, Matthew Campbell, Larry Richardson, Bob Buckholtz, Ash, Harry Kaiser, Mike MacGyver, Wade McKnight, Chaz Clifton, Alan Godseff, Jerry Nunnally, El Randolito, Christopher West, Matthew Free Live Free, Paul McNamee, David Rolson, and Rick Schwertfager. We're going to stay down in the Texas-Mexico borderlands for the next Tales of the Rangers podcast episode, and we're going to pick up the trail of one of the darker figures in that borderland, a man named Mustang Gray. So, mi compadres, we'll see you down the trail. <laughs>